excuse me, we need to full name him at all times. It's Naughty Nephew Jack. Okay. <laughs> For whatever, something, I don't know. Does it matter? There's no time. There's never any time to take the socks off. <laughs> it could just be full of, you know, feather boas and whatever, but it's it's big enough to hold a body, so maybe it does. Oh my God, Adam shivers down the spine. This podcast was recorded remotely and contains adult themes and language. Hello and welcome to TV DNA, The White Lotus, episode five, That's Amore. My name is Adam Hemming and I won't be doing any more singing in this episode. Is she the real deal or is she a little witchy? It's not for me to say. Grace Chapman. I'd die for beauty. Want a fag? (laughs) (laughs) There are a few people in this episode who do, I think. Now, there's no Damien this week. We should address that before we move on. He's on his way back from Transylvania. I wonder if he stayed at a White Lotus while he was away or... um... I would, I mean, that would be real uh, location scouting for TV DNA, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, maybe White Lotus season three in Transylvania. (laughs) There is going to be a season three. I think we should petition them. Yeah, did did we mention that in the last episode? I can't remember whether we did or not. I don't think we did. We didn't mention it, no, but uh, we have, we've been talking on our WhatsApp group about potential locations. I thought maybe Iceland, but Damien insisted it had to be somewhere warm. (laughs) Yeah, he has said, hasn't he, that he'd like to bring other characters back. So there may be characters from season one returning in season three, potentially, which is all very exciting. The world of the White Lotus, it's just brilliant. They can all return other than some of them, obviously. Spoiler, season one. Yeah. (laughs) So this episode, I found this one. I really enjoyed it. Funny, heartbreaking, shocking in places. How did you find it? Two sort of main things, a pro Anacon, I'd say. Uh, a pro, I thought it was some of the best dialogue we've had so far. I think some of the conversations people were having were some of the best writing that we've had this season. I think I'm getting a bit impatient. I think I just wanted a bit more to happen. I feel like that every episode that goes by, we inch closer to like the complete anxiety breakdown that we're all going to have towards the end of this. I really just wanted a little more. I wanted the plot to drive through a little quicker. I think I'm just being a bit impatient, maybe. Yeah, there's a lot of plates spinning, aren't there? And I, we could kind of see where some of those stories were going and they went there. And I totally get where you're coming from with that. But still, brilliant, brilliant stuff. We've been set up some, for some incredible two final episodes, so not complaining there. No, not at all. And there's multiple deaths to come. We'll talk about that maybe at the end, but I can potentially see some of those coming in the next episode. Now, I started watching this episode. I had to take the kids to their street dance class, and I, I had 45 minutes. So I thought, I'm going to watch the, the start of The White Lotus and start making my notes. And so I went to this really classy little bistro cafe in Hitchin, set my little laptop up, plugged in and opened the episode and had to stop immediately because this episode opens in an X-rated way. Good Lord, I carumba, best cut to foaming sea yet. I mean, mamma mia, am I right? (laughs) Yes. Two things. Firstly, when you were talking about that cafe in Hitchin, I was picturing it as the one from Motherland, and that's made it even funnier. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But I mean, all I can say is peachy, very, very peachy. This was, uh, yeah, I've just written Lucia and Albia going at it. I wonder if she'll charge him. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Before we get to Lucia and Albia, there was this lovely contrast then with Portia's morning when she wakes up next to a naked Jack who's just splayed out on the bed and then gets a phone call from Tanya. Excuse me, we need to full name him at all times. It's Naughty Nephew Jack. Okay. (laughs) Albie's waking up to heaven essentially and she's kind of waking up to a bit probably a bit of a hangover and Tanya on the phone telling her that she's going to get on a boat with some gays have you got any cute things are you sure (laughs) Tanya's seen what Portia's been wearing throughout the episode and we know that Tanya favours a luxury housecoat so I think their styles are actually at opposite ends of the spectrum but I thought Portia did quite well with her her cute things you know there was no sort of knitted sleeves or anything like that on show no not this time no it was good just before we got to the peachy opening was there a shot of the island where the battle axe met her demise or was that not that yeah it could well have been I hadn't spotted that I feel like it might have been which immediately gave me a sense of dread the other thing that gave me a sense of dread was so Portia goes out onto the balcony and there's the volcano in the background. This huge sort of portentous thing of like things are about to explode. That's kind of what I felt like they were setting us up for with this. And then it cuts to Jack scratching his bum. Which group should we, should we start with? Such a great question. Should we start with the toxic trio? Yeah, with the boys. Hmm. So I'm including the Albi Lucia stuff with this, which I think is great because we can. We, this was super awkward. I did love the fact that he still had his socks on, and then again at the end of the episode, he's still wearing his socks. There's no time. There's never any time to take the socks off. <laughs> I mean, this conversation, like I said, I was wondering if she was going to charge him, and part of me thought, well, she quite likes him, I think, so maybe not. But we live in the real world. Of course she was going to charge him. But this conversation, oh my God, bless them. It was such a kind of awful conversation, but also really adorable. A lot of apologies. Sorry, I thought you knew. And oh man, it was great. It was perfectly uh, performed as well. Do you think she likes him or is she playing a game? There's almost evidence to both cases, I think. I think there is evidence for I, I I swing between I think that she thinks he's like a really sweet guy and that maybe, well, maybe her wanting to be saved complex will meet his saviour complex perfectly and they'll go just whisk away. Or she is just absolutely playing all of these men in this hotel expertly. I don't know the answer. I wonder whether she's torn as well, whether she's like, I can exploit this situation. But actually, there is part of me that does quite like this guy. 100%. I mean, when she brings up Alessio in the, I know we'll get there, but I was like, is he real? Um, And then obviously we find out that he is real. Yeah, she talks about this man who will ask ask me for the money and he's crazy. And I, I definitely was questioning whether he existed. And she has a conversation with someone and he may well be called Alessio, but whether he's her pimp or not. I don't know. We'll, I guess we will find out. But it definitely feels like there is a game being played by Lucia in some way. I 100% agree. Well, we next see Albie, Dom and Bert having breakfast. And Albie mentions that he needs to go to the bank and he needs a little bit more than €200 Euros for whatever, something. I don't know. Does it matter? 
<laughs> What's 2,000 euros to these people? The moment when he glanced at Lucia and then Dom realised, you could see the drop in his stomach was just absolutely visible. It was brilliant. Bert's got concussion at breakfast. <laughs> did, we, did I miss something? <laughs> No, I'm a little bit worried about Bert because this is the second time that he's... I mean, he fell over, didn't he, in that episode one or two? And now he's banged his head. And so I'm worried that there is some ambulatory issues for Bert and that that's going to cause him difficulties in the last two episodes. It gave us some comedy in this, in that when Dom Dom realises, ultimately Dom doesn't want to have to pay for his hookers and Albie's hookers as well, especially if they're the same hooker. But Albie says he wants to go for lunch with Lucia... And Dom's trying to stop him and telling him he doesn't want him hanging out with those girls. And then Bert, Bert blurts out that he knows that their escorts nearly gives the game away, but then says he knows because it's obvious. And when Dom tells him off, he's like, I, I can't be responsible for everything I say. I'm concussed. <laughs> so good. I found it so interesting, the use of the word escorts. That word was used many, many times in a very short space of time. And I thought it was interesting. They didn't say the word prostitute or sex worker. They used the word escorts because as privileged men, it maybe it's more slightly more palatable or highbrow to, that they're escorts. I just thought that was really clever writing that they wouldn't call them the other words that we could use in society thought that was great and then when Dom looks at Albie after Albie goes over to see Lucia I thought there was a slight there was despair but also a bit of jealousy yeah I definitely think Dom is struggling with his decision to try and salvage his marriage and his obvious lust for the opposite sex in that we had that sequence didn't we of him looking at the girls in the bar and him seeing all of these attractive young girls. And we get a similar thing in this episode when he's combing the beach and he's looking at all these different women. But this time, all of the women that he looks at are either in couples or they're mothers or they're older. And it's like he can't see the young woman that he's going to go and flirt with. And he's given that up and he's passed that on to Albie. So I thought that was really interesting how they flipped that for Dom. I think he is, one for me, one of the most interesting what's going to happen with him characters or with them is how Dom's story is going to play out, I think, is less clear. Yeah, I agree. I don't know yet what's going to happen to him. He did cut a very lonely figure on that beach, didn't he? <laughs> yeah. Albie has a line of, when they're talking about the escorts, they're just poor and victims of a fucked up system. So they're more broken birds for Albie to come along and, and swoop in and save victims of a fucked up system that he will absolutely benefit from well we let like see albie and lucia after he's been to the bank he's got their money they're having a really nice time in the pool and then he just drops in i've got your money kind of reminding her that she's a whore but she brushes over that and asks them if they if he wants to do it again and then again this lovely awkward conversation he doesn't mind paying but he doesn't want to be part of a situation where she's being exploited. If this money is going to go to some guy who's exploiting you, then I don't want to give it to you. I'd just like to have sex with you for free. But if you get to keep this money, then I'm happy to give it to you for having sex with me. It's just, it's so, what's so brilliant is it is complicated, it's complicated, you know, what everyone's motivations and everyone's sort of moral compasses are spinning wildly out of control. Well, not everyone's, let's let's make that very clear. But Albie's, it certainly doesn't, just doesn't quite know 
where he lands on this. But I do think it's the classic situation of men being like, oh, oh it's awful. It's happening to you. But I'm not the bad guy. It's not me. And you're like, oh, God. It's, it's the wokeness, isn't it, of, of Albie? It's the kind of faux, almost faux wokeness that he's he's putting on. When you contrast that with Dom and or especially with Bert. What did you make of the Bert and Don conversation? I didn't write all of this down. There were so many great lines in this conversation. But Bert and Dom at dinner talk about normalising the situation for their sons, for Dom himself and for Albie. But yeah, what did you make of all of this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I wrote quite a lot of it down because it it felt like a massive conversation that had never really been had. And I mean, there were a few lines that just... Uh, it's a sort of felt like part one of it was really about you know just as the the toxic masculinity went down the generation so the blame went up the generations you've normalized it for me I'm the way I am because of you you never showed me how to love a woman Don was really taking his opportunity wasn't he to really go for it really just get it out of his system and then it really flipped and Bert just shut it down didn't he he just decided I'm going to simplify this with I loved her and she loved me. And that's the end of the conversation. And I suspect it's not the end of the conversation, actually. I think we'll get more of that. Who knows how the rest of it's going to come out. But and there was this other amazing moment where obviously they've been blaming each other. And then with no one else to blame, they'll blame Dom's mum. Being like, well, why did if she, if she had such a rough time, why did she stay with me? And it's like, oh, for God, just oh. I thought it was one of the best written scenes in the episode. Yeah, I agree. I thought it was excellent. I'm, I think one line was, mum died a bitter woman and knew about everything you did. I loved the way that Bert shut this down. I thought F. Murray Abraham was superb in this scene. Really, really good. For me, rivaled some Hollander for star of the episode. I mean, just if Bert is going to uh, come to some natural causes end at the end of this, then it'll be interesting to see how Dom tries to finish this conversation. That's a great shout. Well, I mean, what happened to them visiting the ancestral home, right? They're there to see Bert's mum's home, isn't that right? Isn't that why they why they <laughs> yeah. went to Sicily in the first place? But they they've gone on the Godfather tour, and there's been no mention of it in the last two or three episodes of them of them doing it. So I wonder whether they're saving it for the last day of their holiday, or or whether we they've already done it and we've just not seen it. I can't. I love that. I'd totally forgotten that that was the plan. But instead of doing that, they've gone to a Coliseum, the Godfather tour, and got some hookers. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> guys, come on. Let's focus. Let's focus back on what we came here for in the first place. I think Don might try and refocus them all. I think that could be something he might try and do to salvage this holiday. I also just want to give a very quick shout out. I don't know if you noticed it, but we had a shot of Albie and uh, Lucia at dinner and then Dom looking at them and then Bert just sort of appeared from behind a pillar. Did you see? Oh, God, it made me laugh. Should we move on to Tanya and Portia? So we learn early on that Tanya's thinking of getting her marriage annulled. She asks Portia if she's oblivious. And there's a lovely callback to season one where she says she should have started the spa with a girl from Maui. She was a real healer, the real deal. And then wonders whether or not she was a little witchy and maybe she put a curse on her. It's a classic moment of Tanya saying one thing and then completely doubting herself. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of not her fault if somebody else has put a curse on her, right? She's just got bad luck. Not bad choices or bad decisions or no. going back on your word when you said you'd invest in someone's business. <laughs> no, no, not, not remotely. 
We next see them on Quentin's boat and we meet Tommaso, the captain of the boat. And Tanya asks if he knitted his little hat. Now, as a keen knitter, I did have a good look at Tommaso's little knitted hat. And I think it did look like a hand knit in the brief, the brief amount of time that we spent with it. Also, I wrote down, it's lovely to have Tanya back on a boat, isn't it? I mean, I just think Jennifer Coolidge does her best work on a boat. <laughs> Needs to be written into all of her future contracts. Please, for all of us. Naughty Nephew Jack and Portia go below decks, as twere, so that she can get a tour of the boat. And Quentin comments that it's nice for him to have someone his own age to play with. Mm. suggesting that he plays quite often with people older than him. And this is something that Damien actually sent us, was was someone had picked up on the episode before this about Jack saying, I'm just hanging around with a bunch of old gays, they've got really strong hands. I just didn't pick up on that in a kind of sexual way. But then when Quentin said that, I immediately thought, okay, yeah, something's going on here. We learn that Quentin's father left him the villa in Palermo and he makes complaints about the upkeep of it and says that Sicily can be very seductive. We don't really have, again, similarly to the fact that we didn't learn Quentin's name in the last episode, we've no idea really where he gets his money from at all. His mystery continues, doesn't it? When they finally emerge from below decks, (laughs) Tanya calls Portia out. You two were having sex on the boat, and there's a moment where it's really, really uncomfortable. But then I think Tanya kind of makes it quite cool she becomes the cool boss and that she just she says she's jealous basically and it feels to me at that moment that Portia is living her best life yeah definitely I think Portia's just been so really wanting to someone to set her heart a bit aflame she wants to run through the streets of Sicily you know this is what she was here for and it's and it's happening and she I mean I I do I do wonder if Portia might be slightly falling for Jack but obviously, sorry, naughty nephew Jack, uh, but we'll kind of come to that a little more later. So I don't know if she's entirely protected herself from this <laughs> Doss Jägermeister boy. But <laughs> I, what I loved about the you two are having sex thing is I think yet again, Tanya has proved in this episode that you might disregard her, but actually you shouldn't pull the wool over Tanya's eyes. She's watching when she says to Greg, you know, I see you and you're a shit in episode one. She sees things, Tanya. I mean, she probably saw more than she bargained for at the end of this episode. <laughs> but I just don't think we should ever disregard Tanya. No, definitely not. Now, I love this next sequence of them arriving at the villa. So Jack is pulling Tanya's case and he makes a comment of, you got a fucking dead body in here. And her case is big enough to fit one in. And at the point, and I, so I paused the video at that point. And I was like, so I could make this note about her case being big enough to fit a body in. And maybe that's, you know, going to happen at some point. And then I looked back at the screen and I could see another large case being removed from the back of the van, like a big black case. And it's a really, really quick moment. But they are all walking into the villa and you see the guys unloading the car. And there's a large black case being taken out from the back of it. Oh, my God. Adam shivers down the spine. I know. It's so brilliant. It's such a tiny moment. And it could just be full of, you know, feather boas and whatever. But it's it's big enough to hold a body. So maybe it does. Full of high-end gay stuff. Yeah, clearly. You know, my knowledge of high-end gay stuff. 
just limited to feather boas. It's a good feeling when you realise someone has money because then you don't have to worry about them wanting yours. Very telling line from Tanya. And this was where it made me think, where does Quentin get his money from? Does he want hers? And is he being paid to do something? This is the theory that we've been postulating for the last three episodes, I think. I loved Tanya saying to Portia, don't steal anything. You know what? If I was in that house, I would totally steal something. I mean, that villa was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. So much stuff everywhere. How could they possibly notice if you pocketed half of it, right? Just a, a wee piece of silverware. Just just pocket it. No one's going to notice. I love the discussion about, oh, goodness, you don't want the public in here. <laughs> <laughs> He's not opening his house to the public. Linking back to the story that he told in the last episode of this place being, you know, made open to the public and this his house isn't, you know, uh, he was tr- he was trying to get some sort of heritage grant, wasn't he, or something for the upkeep of the building? Yes, but the idea of obviously having filthy commoners touching the crushed velvet—it's just too much to bear. Now they go off to see Madame Butterfly. Have you ever seen Madame Butterfly, Grace? I never have. Uh, I I don't think I have. Have you? No, never have. So I had to look up what it was about. Hit me. So Puccini's own history and difficulties with women shed light on his fascination with the theme of tragic love. Madame Butterfly is the story of desire in the form of immature love and passion that ends in birth, death and remorse. And then as we learn later when they talk about seppuku, uh, suicide is featured sort of quite heavily in the end of that. Spoiler for Madame Butterfly, if you haven't watched it before. (laughs) Wow. Loaded. Yeah, loaded. Absolutely. I I mean, birth, I'm not so sure about, but death and remorse, probably almost certainly by the end of this series. (laughs) By this point. (laughs) But Jack's going to take Porsche into town for some trouble, which includes him doing a runner from the restaurant. They go for their arancini rice balls. He calls her a fucking slag. And then they do a runner from the restaurant because he forgot his wallet. But yeah, it's clear that Jack has no cash. Yeah, that's interesting, actually, that he's got no cash. I didn't really pick up on that. But if we are going down the male escort, to use Bert's terminology, we're going down that road, then he w- he would have cash, really. But So that's quite interesting. I also thought, you know, just the fact that when they run away and she's like, I could have paid. And he's like, I couldn't ask you to pay. You're a lady. I'm like, you literally just called her a slag. Am I coming or going, Jack? Like, oh, I shouldn't say <laughs> I got so far with that innuendo, damn it. (laughs) I really loved the sort of move into that scene of them talking about the Arancini. It was this really ominous move into night time. So we had the wind rushing through all these plants and different things as the darkness descended. And then the theme music from the White Lotus kind of came in, a version of that theme music uh, came into that scene. Let's talk about the opera bit then to finish this off and then and then we can cover the ending but for me one of the most genius moments of the episode is Tom Hollander's reaction when Tanya asks if the woman in the box next to them is the queen of sicily <laughs> amazing he just he, he looks across at us and then and it's just like yes yes she is <laughs> the, the pause was perfect i don't think i've seen a more perfect a perfectly pause perfectly timed pause in telly recently like that one uh he just for a split second thought i could yeah i'm gonna yeah it is the queen of sicily <laughs> also i just if i say yes she is going to believe this yeah 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, as much as Tanya's perceptible, she's incredibly gullible. But I just wrote down at the opera, Tanya is going to explode. (laughs) She was, I mean, we talk about Portia living her best life. This was Tanya's dream, right? Very much so. And they're both having a bit of a cry. And so they then hold hands. And that little, that really short scene ends with the camera panning back from Tanya's back. She's kind of got an exposed back as the camera pulls back through the curtains almost. And it did make me think, oh, is that how Tanya's going to go? Again, just anxiety riddled stuff. I did think, I was like, oh, Tanya, watch yourself on that balcony. But that pull away, that kind of fade out was quite beautiful, really. She did look like the tragic heroine in a Puccini opera. But this slight tearing up from Quentin, I couldn't, I wasn't sure how genuine it was, which is, which is testament to Tom Hollander's brilliant performance. But I couldn't tell if in him taking a hand, she'd trust him more. I think we saw a development of that later on, or whether he genuinely was moved. It felt to me, thinking back on it, that he was crying before he looked at her. So whether it was a genuine emotion at the opera or whether it was a premeditated thing I think it's really hard to say but it felt to me like he was genuinely moved by the opera I think you're right you second guess everything don't you yeah well he says when they're back at the villa that Gore Vidal who stayed in your room once said I can understand companionship I can understand bought sex in the afternoon but I cannot understand the love affair gorgeous quote so good and so perfect for this show. It was a, a lovely scene between them in the the parlour, I'm going to go with. This discussion about love and Quentin talking about how he was once in love before he got wise. And again, do we believe the story of the Wyoming cowboy? And where is Greg from? Is he from Wyoming, maybe? Good point. I hadn't thought about that. <gasps> Definitely felt like there could be a connection, you know, when just the just the mention of the word cowboy and the fact that we we know that Greg is a con man made me just think we've already suggested there might be a link between the two of them. And it's suspicious that Greg's gone away for two days. Right. I mean, he's got to be due back soon. Next episode or the one after? Next episode, Greg's due back. Yeah. So it will be interesting if it, where I do think he will return. So if he's going to return with, you know, what he expected to happen or I mean, it's we literally don't know. But I think that just to thinking about that Gore Vidal quote I think when he was saying it and the two of them sat there and if the Wyoming cowboy thing is true it's almost you know there's such a, there's almost a real loneliness to a lot of these characters and as we said sympathy only extends so far when you've got that much money but Quentin discussing this if it's true or not who knows there was a real vulnerability there but again I was thinking is he just trying to bring down Tanya's barriers It's so unclear what he gets out of this relationship, isn't it? He's flattering her so much and saying how much he loves her style. And he talks about the fact that beauty, not love, is his Achilles heel. And she says she lives for beauty and he said he would die for it too. Again, another mention of death and all the mentions of death and killing and murder are brilliant again in this episode. But we know it's not genuine. We know that he's not obsessed or fascinated by Tanya and that there is an ulterior motive there has to be it's just not plausible that it would be otherwise let's move on to the ending then so Portia tells Jack you nearly got me arrested they get back to the bedroom he says I need to do something for my uncle keep your door unlocked 
And at this point, I wondered whether he was going to kill Tanya. Because I kind of felt like he took Portia out on the, on the town, maybe as a distraction, to like keep her away from Tanya while they did whatever it was that they needed to do. That didn't happen. So then I thought, okay, he needs to do something for his uncle. He's going to go and murder Tanya in her sleep or do something like that. But Tanya wakes up in the middle of the night and hears a noise and goes to investigate and walks down the hallway and opens a door and goes through it. And what she finds is um, Jack buggering Quentin. Yes, that is right. I mean, look, never underestimate Tanya's insomnia. That woman, she's the thing is about Tanya, and I've said it before, she's got she's got a bit of power now. She knows some things. I mean, she's seen some things. And the crucial thing is they didn't see that she saw. So I was thinking, oh my God, they're gonna see her in the doorway. But they didn't. And she knows they didn't. So she's the only one that knows. And I think if she's smart enough, she could play, she could protect herself with that. For me, the takeaway from it was what this means for Portia. And that this episode was all about Portia's best life, right? She was having a great time from beginning to end. She has a conversation with Albie, doesn't she, early on in the episode, where they kind of apologise to each other and say, oh, you seem like you were busy, and yeah, you seemed like you were busy too. But it's all about to come crashing down on Portia, I think, when Tanya makes her inevitable revelation. I mean, clearly she's going to tell Portia what she saw, right? Well, I think she's already shown a slight protective element towards Portia and trying to warn her about various things in her slightly deluded way. So I do think she will tell her. Oh, gosh, that's going to be big. Oh, Portia, get off, get off the island. Should we move on to our two couples, Daph Cam and Ethan and Harper? Because this is where the, the big end of the last episode left us, right? Harper had left a, a condom wrapper in the bathroom for Ethan to find. And he wakes up and does exactly that. It looked to me like Harper hadn't slept at all. Like her eyes were open. As soon as Ethan moved from the bed, her eyes were open. She was waiting for him to find it. And the conversation was going to happen. And he tries to explain what happened. And I just loved her, her summary of what he was saying. You met two hookers at the bar and brought them back to our room, and Cameron had sex with them on the couch. Is that what you're telling me? It was such a good summary. I wrote that down as well. I was like, that is pitch perfect. Also, what he said first was going to be crucial, right? He's holding the condom wrapper. He walks back in the room. Whatever comes out of his mouth first is going to be absolutely vital. And he goes with, it's not what you think. I haven't done anything, okay? It wasn't me. Oh, that's reassuring, isn't it? He he genuinely doesn't think that he's lied to her. I mentioned this last episode. He's he's lied by omission. He never directly told a lie. He just didn't tell her everything. And he makes that case. And honestly, I feel like you should feel good about this because I I had an opportunity to do stuff and I didn't. I mean, I'd taken Molly and there were prostitutes in our bedroom in that where we're staying, but I didn't do anything. I didn't do any of the sex stuff. I mean, the discussion around the lie was perfect because it's almost like once someone has decided that you've lied to them, it's incredibly difficult to persuade them otherwise. It just wasn't happening. Harper just, he he wasn't able to give her what she needed. But actually, what could he say in that moment, really? It already happened, previous episode, all of the damage had been done. He was a victim of Cameron's whirlwind of Molly and prostitutes. 
this was my first heartbreak moment of the episode. There were a couple of moments where I was just felt so much for the characters on screen. And it was Harper's okay. And she says, okay. Clearly she's not okay, but she's like going, okay, okay, okay. And she says it numerous times because she doesn't want, you know, she loves Ethan. She doesn't want that relationship to end, but it, she is clearly not happy with what has happened. And, and that drives her through the rest of this episode, I think. Yeah. And again, we spoke about it last episode, but Aubrey Plaza, just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. The perfect casting, the just the details of this performance have been truly brilliant. I'm so happy for her. She was wonderful in this. Yeah. In fact, she she gets the MVP of this episode, I think. I've talked about F. Murray Abraham and Tom Hollander. They had really, really brilliant moments, but I think Aubrey Plaza as Harper throughout the whole thing was superb. <laughs> the next time we see them is at breakfast, right? And Lucia and Mia walk past and Ethan and Cameron are, are doing their best to sort of hide their faces from them. And we're reminded later on in the episode that they owe them money. Cameron has not paid them yet. But Daphne's pissed off because they had their big night without them even though it was her who decided she was going to stay in a piazza. I can't remember what it was called now. Palazzo, wherever it was they were. But their day trip is going to be a wine tour near Etna. They're going to take in some volcanic minerals. And Daphne goes into some description of what it's going to do for them that makes them sound, quite frankly, radioactive. I mean, look, after a day a day of day drinking, my skin and hair never glow. So I don't know what she thinks is going to happen there. So much of what I love about the White Lotus is these almost repetitive scenes, right? We've been at breakfast with these four a number of times. It's a great way to show how the relationships are changing and the characters are changing if you have a controlled environment, which aka breakfast. And this one, Harper, did her first of many mic drops in this episode when she was like, well, maybe we can just find some Molly and really rage and just walked (laughs) off. (laughs) Which was so perfect as a mic drop because it told Cameron... Ethan's told me what you did. So Cameron knows Ethan broke the bro code and his reaction to that was just superb. I loved Ethan's moment of like, yeah, sorry, I have, was again, a really, really lovely little moment. What can go wrong on a wine tour near Etna, right? (laughs) And I love this. Harper is going large at the wine tour. We enter that scene with this, it's not quite slow motion, but this very slow pouring of wine into the glass and Daft Cammer being kissy-kissy. But Harper's flirting with the waiter. She's encouraging him to fill her glass more and then downing it. I was really, really worried for what she was going to do next. Oh man, I was here for this energy. I was like, Yes, just cause chaos, Harper. Just go, this is what we want to see. But I did write down at the wine tasting bit, firstly, why do I live in London and why is it late November? That was quite a painful scene, I have to say. Harper, and then the moment where she just decides, she's had, I mean, she's essentially shotting wine, which can only end well. And then she just decides, right, she goes, I have a question. And you just think, yes, here we go. Uh, is this the question of whether they ever slept with the same girl in college? I mean, this stuff was amazing. So, I mean, Cameron tries to use it to alpha up, right? There's not much overlap. We had different dating pools. And then Harper pushes with her, did you, you know, come on, you must have played Naked Twister. If I ever told him I liked a girl, he would swoop in and have sex with them within a week. 
But he turns this, he flips this, Ethan, I think, so brilliantly. Because he says, basically, Cameron got to fuck everybody I wanted to fuck. But then he calls it mimetic desire. He's researched it. He knows what it is. He's probably had therapy about it, right? Ethan claims he has higher status because he was smarter and that Cameron did that so that he might become as smart as Ethan was. Yeah, I was quite surprised by this, Ethan. I don't think we've seen this. Uh, We've had maybe inklings of it, but really he's never stood up to Cameron this whole time. And this was the the first of possibly something that this standing up could escalate to something physical, maybe. It was so good. It was also the shift. So when Harper starts with the question, you know, Ethan's staring at her and his face is like watching a slow motion runaway train. He's just sort of blinking at her in disbelief, isn't he? And then he flips. It was like a little switch went. And I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, it's like she's going to go there. So maybe I can throw some hand grenades in as well and we'll see what happens. Uh, Harper asks whether they ever watched each other having sex, given that they were roommates. And Cameron says it's almost certain that we did. And she says old habits die hard. Again, trying to stir the pot that little bit more. And it did make me think, you know, you just talked about it, but that whole jet ski scene and the two of them as kind of rutting stags almost... Uh, is there going to be some sort of big confrontation between the two of them at some point? I can definitely see that happening. I love their entrance to dinner. Ethan has his face like thunder, Harper's drunk and dangerous, and Daft Hammer laughing until Cameron sees Lucia, and she does the money gesture, the, the talking hands like she was teaching Albie in the episode before, right? It was so, so good. It's just after the, the, the curtain rises on the opera, we get this like swell of of music and then we get this entrance. It was so, immediately we were already thinking about power and love and revenge and remorse. And then we're in this, in our world, you know, in the restaurant. And I just loved Harper as she was walking in. I mean, I just wrote handbags at dawn. She was swinging her handbag around. <laughs> and then when they're having dinner, they talked about threesomes, right? In the vineyard. I'm- and now it's Cameron who's bringing it up again, this conversation of, of threesomes and has anyone ever had one? So it just, it just totally made me think this is somewhere in their future. This is going to happen. But Daphne says, you sow your oats when you're young, you get it out of your system. And Cameron disagrees. It's like food. You gorge yourself until you're sick. Swear you'll never eat another bite. And then a few days later, you're hungry again. Just vile horrible stuff but then harper drops the bombshell that she's had a threesome with paula and oscar in san juan cameron asks if they were her cousins and then he starts touching her leg oh my god this bit gave me so much stress I really, I couldn't handle it. As he was talking about hunger and he's he's searching out Harper with his eyes, isn't he, as he's doing it. And then, well, firstly, I don't even know if that threesome story is real. I don't, she was drunk, so she was searching for the names. So I don't know if it was because she was drunk or she was making it up just to appear, like they were saying, like naughty, naughty college girl. But then this touch of the leg, oh my God. And I feel... I had to watch it just a couple of times to be sure what Harper's reaction was because it didn't feel like an immediate bat away and she didn't freeze or anything like that. But it felt like a kind of drunken like push off. 
Yeah, there was kind of like a laugh and a look at him as well with it. I felt wasn't definitely no. I agree. It it wasn't a firm no, right? No, it wasn't a firm no. Definitely not. And that, that made it even more just White Lotus at its absolute best. And what she did next was talk about Ethan loving his porn and how it was hard to compete with slutty interns getting banged by their bosses. And then she flirts with the waiter. And it just felt like Cam was really excited by everything that was going on in the conversation. And Ethan was totally broken. Yeah, Ethan was just absolutely despairing, wasn't he? You know, his moral high ground, it's sort of elusive wife had just descended and basically you know it felt like she had become just like Dafcam. you know they were kind of all in on it together giggling and laughing and Ethan was off on his own it was brilliant absolutely brilliant well then we get the insight into Daphne a bit more I think Harper's alluding to what Ethan and Cameron got up to and Daphne tells Harper I'm sure whatever happened isn't a big deal which in a way gives Harp Cam a little bit of license to happen, right? She says, do what you need to do to feel better. She's got Lawrence the trainer. Goes to show her a picture of Lawrence the trainer, but it happens to be a picture of her kids. Oh, whoopsie. I mean, it's a power move, isn't it? I have no doubt in my mind that that wasn't a mistake. She meant to show Harper a picture of her kids. So even though, like you say, she went, do what we have to do to feel better about it, but don't fuck with what we have. Yeah. And it was so brilliant. Also, I loved the moment where Harper essentially tells Daphne what happens because she doesn't actually tell her. No. There are no words that pass between them. It's just a look and a shrug and a kind of sigh. And a. I thought that was just really clever because they didn't need any words. But yeah, I just, I really thought that was such a Daphne move. Daphne's such a sneaky power player, isn't she? She does everything with a smile. I feel like Daphne gets what she wants. Yes, that's Lawrence the trainer. (laughs) We've got to talk about Valentina, right? Yes, definitely. The other sort of heartbreaking moment for me in this episode was the conversation between Valentina and Mia, which probably isn't the start of her story, but it's where I'd like to start. Mia's been pushing throughout. Uh, Whenever we've seen Valentina, it's been likely to have Mia there going, can I play the piano? Can I play the piano? We learn that Giuseppe's going to be back on Thursday, which is two days away. But initially, Val says no. And then she points out that Mia's persistent. But it's when Mia basically says, you're gay, right? Like, I don't know whether anyone's outed her before or even noticed it before. But she becomes so vulnerable in this moment, Valentina. And it's just, I've just found the whole thing so heartbreaking when Mia says, you know, we can have... We can have a good time together. and Yeah, I absolutely agree. It was such a beautiful, held performance. Very little actually happened. It was all in that moment. And you felt for her so much. It's the first time anyone's ever asked her that. And so, you know, there's that shock. And then there's also the, well, what do I say? Like, I don't, I, you know, panic. But the a- actor, I've forgotten her name now, which is I'm annoyed about, but was just did it in the most stunning way. I really, I really thought she was exceptional. There was such a longing and then such a shutdown, wasn't there? And I really just wanted to put out the line, when I say no, it's no. I feel like that maybe we've talked a little bit about Valentina's experiences with men in the past that maybe, you know, I don't want to read too much into that. 
but I feel like you know she has experiences of people being persistent with her and her having to work really hard to stop them and then here's this beautiful young woman doing the same it was a brilliant scene yeah so good I mean she ends up giving her the job for two nights and Mia says that she'll slay uh, which again I was like okay Mia the killer second time I think we've had Mia talking about killing people at the end of that conversation Valentina was happier that was what made it so wonderful I think was that whether it was happy that she'd given Mia the opportunity or happy that she'd been able to maybe she likes Mia or whatever it was but it was just a really really lovely moment yeah maybe happy to have had a flirt you know there's all uh, like a reciprocal flirt we have the moment before with Isabella where she's Valentina was like girlish around Isabella in that opening moment with her but she never gets anything back beyond as we sort of pointed out that kind of slightly dim smiling approach but to have a woman actually say to her like you know we could have some fun it just seemed to soften Valentina but I think the line that really stood out to me was her saying to Mia as Mia ran away don't make me regret this <laughs> Mia's piano playing and singing certainly wouldn't have made her regret it because it was stunning well I think the key thing about the Valentina Isabella exchange in this episode was that Rocco clocked what was happening. Rocco could see the flirting and kind of rolled his eyes at it a little bit. And then he gets sent to the beach club. So he's chatting, distracting and being distracted. Whereas he'd be better off going to the beach club where he can just get on with lots of flirting. And crucially, who does he get replaced with? (laughs) The guy from the beach club with the weird voice. Salvatore. The comedy moment of the episode was definitely him coming in, like the worst person to have on your reception desk. Absolutely. What was it Tanya said about him in the last episode? What, that's the weirdest voice I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) And it took me maybe like a couple of seconds to put the two and two together. And it was so satisfying that we finally have a face to the voice. Maybe Salvatore um, will be one of our dead bodies. Who knows? Yeah, well, he's not a guest, isn't it? They talk about guests having having died. That's the thing. But, I mean, it doesn't mean to say that there won't be any of the staff passing away either. The sequence of Mia singing, again, was, was just stunning. So I, I don't know the name of the song, but the first couple of lines were In Napoli when love is king. And we see Portia, then Bert, then Cameron and Harper, Ethan looking like he'd seen everything before. We see Daphne, we see Valentina watching Mia, and then we see Dom calling his wife on the phone. And then we go into Albie and Lucia fucking whilst he's still got his socks on. (laughs) And then the song climaxes as Albie does. Lovely. There's a lot to do in the last two episodes, isn't there? I feel like because it's only two episodes, it's almost like this whole hotel is like a tinderbox. And someone's just got a light, one flame, and it's going to go. We don't know how it's going to go, but the tension is so high at this point. Gosh, I can't wait. Now, I can't even remember what I predicted for the sweepstake, let alone what anyone else did. But I am definitely going to listen back to our first episode to try to work it out, because I think stuff may well come into play. Is there anyone that you're particularly fearing for? Oh, all of... I mean... My hopes is that there's a bit of a sort of revenge of the women or a rising up of of women at some point. But this is the world of the White Lotus. I just don't know if that will happen. 
think I said that Tanya was going to be a killer. And obviously we all want to see that. Bert is my big worry at the moment, I think. <laughs> Bert's probably almost certainly going to go, he said confidently. And I, I just don't see Harper and Ethan surviving this series. Not in terms of necessarily the, as people, but their relationship. Yeah. I just don't see that coming back from a potential harp cam or menage a trois. Who would you most like to see have a positive outcome from the whole thing? I really want Portia to, to get out of there. And I and even though I thought Mia might die, I would like Mia and Lucia to be okay. Basically, I want all the young women to be okay. Yeah, that's fair enough. Totally understandable. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? Um, for me, Valentina, I think I would like to see Valentina be okay. Or actually, I would like to see Valentina be better than she was at the start of the series. I would like to have seen her life improve somehow. I don't know whether that's possible in the next two episodes, but that would be my my hope. I'd like to also, side note, just see some more of those kittens. I mean, who doesn't love kittens, right? <laughs> have you been watching anything else, Grace? No, I've just been continuing on with my Better Call Saul quest. I'm about halfway through season two. And I know, remember Damien saying when I first said I was going to start it, that a lot of people say take season one and two are finding its feet a little bit. But I already loved one, but oof, two is really kicking into gear. I just, I don't know how well you remember it, Adam, but I just had that amazing montage at Davis and Maine where Jimmy is trying on all those different colourful suits with that blow up thing they have at car parks I don't know if anyone else will know when they listen to this it's one of the best montages I've seen and I love a montage me and I also think every time that Mike's getting increasingly stuck with some bad people and I'm just in every time I see him I just think he's too old for this shit <laughs> oh, Mike coming trap definitely one of the best characters in television history and Betticle Saul loves a montage You've got many, many more wonderful, wonderful montages to come, Grace. That makes me so happy. What about you? What have you been watching? So I have finished Mammals, which is the James Corden show. And I remember saying that if you squint hard enough, you kind of forget about James Corden, the celebrity. But I do feel like this would have been a much better show if they just cast somebody else. I mean, I've got nothing against James Corden personally, and I think he's got acting ability, but it does start to just feel a bit like it only got as far as it did because James Corden was in it. And actually, the script and the performances by everybody else in the show and these beautifully surreal moments and the kind of themes that run through it all are really, really strong. And they, I just feel like he's the distraction to what otherwise would have been. And he is, I think, a really, really great watch. It's only six episodes, half an hour episodes each. A really, really satisfying ending because you feel like you're going in one way for the whole thing. And the way that it finishes is, is really brilliant. It does the end of episode bombshell supremely well for like half an hour episodes to set something up and then to flip at the end of every single episode, I think it's really impressive. I was chatting to somebody else about it and they said to me, oh, I know a couple of people who worked on that and they found James Corden really, really difficult to work with. So that was well, a little bit disappointing given what I already felt about the show. The other thing I'm watching is Wednesday on Netflix. 
Wednesday Adams and Phoebe's watched this as well. We haven't watched it together yet, but we're going to continue watching it together now. There's so many brilliant lines in this, so many great. I mean, when you've got a sort of goth girl, the license is there to write the best stuff. There's a moment where she's having a heart to heart with Christina Ricci, who formerly played Wednesday Adams, as her teacher. And she says, I act as if I don't care that people dislike me. But deep down, I secretly enjoy it. (laughs) Really, really lovely stuff. There's a nice mystery that's playing throughout. I've only two episodes in. Well made. Wednesday Adams is a great character. Uh, So I'm going to continue watching that. Have you seen the Guardians of the Galaxy holiday special yet? Is that really a question? Have you seen it? What did you think? (laughs) I haven't seen it. You haven't seen it? It's Guardians (laughs) of the Galaxy and it's Christmas, Grace. These are two of your favourite things, surely. Christmas, yeah. And actually, remember, I thought I'd never seen a Marvel film until I dropped that I'd seen Guardians of the Galaxy. No, I haven't seen it. Is it Christmas joy all around? I mean, I've equated that to you being a big Guardians of the Galaxy fan, and I don't think that's necessarily fair. It's fun. It's light. It's fun. And if you want something to get you into that Christmas mood, then you could do worse. It's a great tribute to the Star Wars holiday special, and there's some really lovely nods for big Marvel fans. I'd say if you're looking for Marvel action at Christmas, you'd be better off re-watching Hawkeye. But it's it's not very long and it's good fun. And Kevin Bacon's in it. So, yeah. Taking a break from all those mobile ads. Yeah. <laughs> Can I do the Phoebe and Otis review of Santa Clauses? Please. I'm here with Phoebe and Otis again. We've just finished episode three of the Santa Clauses. What did you think, Otis? Good. Good? Yeah, because, um, because Santa looked funny. Santa looked funny? In the last bit. In the last bit, when he wasn't Santa anymore? Yeah. Um, I think it's good. Uh, it had a good cliffhanger at the end. Great. So you're looking forward to watching more of it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Any other good bits in the episode? Did you like the singing and dancing? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What about the witch? Did you like the witch? That part was funny as well. Yeah, and she also looked like Phoebe when it was Halloween. <laughs> She looked like Phoebe when it was Halloween. <laughs> Not. So <laughs> <laughs> you said that's what I look like. <laughs> right, that's it. Santa Claus is reviewed by the Hemmings. I love you. <laughs> Bye. Did he tell you he loves you at the end? He's telling you that he loves you, Grace. Oh, me specifically. <laughs> well, anyone listening. That's gonna, That'll definitely get us a few more listeners. Yeah, that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful review. It did feel like it's a bit like when you talk to us, you're like, what do you think of this bit? And we're like, uh. <laughs> it's good. Yeah, liked it. It's good. Yeah, fine. Found it interesting. Yeah. No, great stuff. So good reviews all around for the clauses. Yeah, Santa clauses. We're enjoying it as a family. I'll try and get some more interesting reviews from the kids for future episodes. There's a few bits coming up soon. So American Horror Story uh, landed on Dis- Disney Plus last week, I think as the first two episodes of that are available now. It's the 11th season of this. Have you ever watched American Horror Story before, Grace? Never. Me neither. This one is set in New York City uh, during the 1980s, focusing on a serial killer who specifically targets gay men. It stars Russell Tovey and also features Zachary Quinto from Heroes and Star Trek and other bits and pieces. So I'm going to try and pick that up because I am intrigued. 
Coming out on Wednesday this week, there's two shows, Willow on Disney+. Plus. Did you ever watch Willow the movie? Did I? That was like my childhood movie. What's happening? There's a TV show about it. About the actual movie or the movie remade? It's it's a it's well, I think it's a sequel. Warwick Davis <gasps> and Joanne Wally, who were in the original film, are presumably reprising their roles. It also features Erin Kellyman, who was great in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, the blurb goes: an unlikely group of heroes set off on a dangerous quest to places far beyond their home, where they must face their inner demons and come together to save the world. That's exactly what happens in the first one. Oh, <laughs> I'm so happy. Honestly, me and my sister watched Willow so much. You know, there's those films you watch as a kid where you just plonked in front of them every afternoon. VHS goes in, off you go. And you're just expected to watch the same movies over and over again. So it was Willow, Mary Poppins, and an incredibly creepy cartoon called The Mouse and His Child. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I'm looking forward to Willow. I'm, I'm definitely going to be watching that on Wednesday. Also on Wednesday is The Patient. Therapist Alan Strauss is held prisoner by a patient, Sam Fortner, who reveals himself to be a serial killer. This stars Steve Carroll and Dommel Gleeson and also comes out on Disney+. And these are 20-minute episodes. Apparently there's 10 episodes, but each of them are only about 20 minutes. Sounds interesting. Another two shows coming out on the 2nd of December, which I think is Friday. One of them is Three Pines, which comes out on Prime Video and stars Alfred Molina. A man investigates murders in Three Pines. He sees things that others do not. The light between the cracks, the mythic in the mundane, and discovers long-buried secrets and faces a few of his own ghosts. And then what I'm most excited about this week is season two of Slow Horses. Just coming to Apple TV. Did you see season one of Slow Horses, Grace? Right. Really, really brilliant. This is the kind of dysfunctional team of MI5 agents led by Jackson Lamb, the flatulent, scruffy, foul-mouthed uh, head of Slough House, which is basically where MI5 agents go to retire when they're, when they're kicked out. Played by Gary Oldman, brilliantly. Kristen Scott Thomas is also in this. Season one was really, really brilliant. Season two comes out on Friday. They've just finished shooting season three and season four starts shooting next February. So this is kind of unprecedented. They're definitely not slow horses when it comes to announcing their next season before they've even released, you know, the second one. I really enjoyed Slow Horses season one. I'm really looking forward to this. It's good, funny dramatic spy thriller stuff. Gary Oldman always has a great spy. Yeah, he's yeah. got good spy in him. Yeah. Now, a couple of bits of news before I let you go, Grace. The first episode of Stranger Things season five, they've, they've released the title. <gasps> it's called The Crawl. Oh, that tells us nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Least bit of exciting news. We've already mentioned White Lotus season three and The Devil's Hour has got two more seasons commissioned, which is a show I've not yet managed to see. But yeah, I'm looking forward to catching on with that. But it looks like it's going to stick around for a while. And a bit of news that just landed in my phone was that there's going to be a Motherland Christmas special. No way. This year, yeah. Uh, I think all we know about it right now is Amanda is spending Christmas Day with Johnny, the kids, and Johnny's new wife, if you remember from the end of season three, 
which is fine. And her mother, Joanna Lumley, is also there. Fantastic. And then Anne is having Christmas at her house with her 29 cousins. (laughs) Amazing. I cannot wait for that. Let's dig into what else is coming up at Christmas for next week. We've got two more White Lotus episodes to come. Then we're going to do our review of the year. I will just say Andor finished last week and it was superb. Such a brilliant show. Definitely recommend it. If anyone out there hasn't started watching Andor yet, it's a big, big recommendation for me. Whether you're a Star Wars fan flan, or not a Star Wars flan, <laughs> Andor is a pie worth tucking into. No, I just came up with a pie bit after I missed said fan the flan. Have you got a good line to see us out of the White Lotus on Grace? I mean, only one of Harper's other brilliant summary lines that we forgot to say. I was gone for one fucking night and he did Molly with hookers. Superb. Is, now, look at that. Start again. Now, but I, I mean, start... you know, we've been... But okay. I mean... Let's start with, uh, if you can hear that, that's my cat scratching, sorry. Um, Let's start with, hang on, you'll have to cut all this out. Bear with me, I've just got to let them out. All right, victims of a fucked up system that he will absolutely benefit from. <laughs> I know I'm going to start to say it. All right, let me go again. <clears throat> Victims of a fucked up system that he will absolutely benefit from. Nailed it. <laughs> full, of full of high end. Full of high end. But um, yeah, it was. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Now it doesn't matter. It wasn't good. Yeah. I mean, again, this. This was something that really rang a bell with me. I need to re-watch season one of The White Lotus. So I'm sure there was something similar about whether it was a, someone showing somebody a photo on a phone or... Anyway, maybe I'm mixing it up with other stuff. I don't know. But, or maybe I'm just mental. <laughs> anyway. Sorry, I've just had a Scotch egg delivered. Very British Arancini. Yeah. <laughs> 